Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you, brother. This last Monday, I was attempting to live a younger life. And coming down from a rebound, I'm pretty sure I, I uh, have a MCL tear of some kind. So it's, uh, it's not bad, but um, this is a... Uh, this is a little new for me. So I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to this, right? So um, I've got a brace on. Everything's working fine. But um, I'm glad to be here. Also, um, you may be aware that starting in 2023, that is this year, on second and fourth Sabbaths, right after the sermon is over here, I run out the side door, jump in my car, and head over to Harmony and preach there. So um, sometimes it may feel like, oh, he's just leaving quickly. Please don't take offense, because I am leaving quickly. I am trying to traverse 20 miles to the next, not 20 miles, 20 minutes. It's only like five miles. And um, so if you see me leaving quickly, that is why I leave quickly on second and fourth Sabbaths. Okay. Uh, brother, I can hop fast, but not run fast. I am thankful that we can be together here. Um, last week, we started a really uh, interesting two-part, just looking at the concept of, I call it a sinner's love and Christian love. And um, we're going to build on that a little bit today with our talk. If actions speak louder than words, what are we saying? So, But before we do, if you could just bow your heads with me. Our Father... I recognize my need of your spirit this morning, and we recognize our need of your spirit to speak to our hearts. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, sorry. Okay, just quick review from last week. Two kinds of love. We looked at a sinner's love, which is basically a love that is looking for the most return on the investment. Uh, it's love, and whatever benefits me the most is what I love. Um, we looked at everything from a person, who remember, who married a pizza, uh, uh, just for the, for the sake of illustration. And then a Christian love is a love that is very unique. It treats family and friends and enemies by doing good to those who hate them. Um, oftentimes, we look at this kind of love as the way we treat those who are our enemies, but if we treated our family and friends the way God asks us to treat our enemies, we'd have good families and good friendships. Do good and no enemies, at least from our perspective, right? Um, Christian spouses do good in response to hatred and anger. Christian parents and children give blessing in response to those who curse them. And Christian friends pray for those who treat them with disdain and spite. And I remember distinctly being a young person and being disdained. You know what it means by disdain? It's when you're in the hallway in school and people walk by you and they don't notice you exist. They kind of go like this. And you're over here. And if you say, hi, they don't even hear you. And when that happens, 
it's for us to have the privilege to say, I'm going to pray for them. Not pray that they get in a car accident. Pray that God keeps them and does something special in their lives. Um, we could say it this way. Love is, is seen not necessarily in how others treat us, but how we treat others. Because love oftentimes in our world is an idea of reception, right? What comes to me is love. But God wants us to know it's what we give that is love. Um, by the way, if everyone does that, then everyone's happy. I often realize, I realize that there's relationships where it's really lopsided. But the idea, God's plan, God's ideal, is that we are both giving 100%. I remember uh, maybe you were asked this when you were in your academy or high school class. Uh, do they have classes on marriage in public school? Okay, just thought I'd ask. Uh, we had a class on marriage my 12th year of Christian school. And I remember the teacher to this day saying, okay, so how much percentage do you have to give to the relationship? And how much should your spouse give to the relationship? And, you know, some smart 12th grader pops up her hand and says, it's 50-50. You give 50% and he gives 50%. And then I heard another person say, no, because we really don't give 50. We think we're giving 50, but it's a little bit less. So we should probably give like 60, 60, you know? And I remember the teacher saying, no, 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 that's not the way it is. A marriage is 100%, 100%. Both of you give it as if you're the only person loving. And you will have a happy relationship. I had no idea what that meant. I remember the conversation because it stood out in my mind. And then once you get married, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what it means. Uh, Romans 12.10. Uh, we, we, we spent a little bit of time looking at this last week. This is just a review, and I'm supposed to leave early, so I'm going to try to be quick. And we talked about an honor giving preference to one another. And we talked about something that I heard at a seminar called bids for connection. And these are, are positive actions to gain attention, affirmation, affection, or support. Things that you do to get some kind of response. And there are ways that we can respond, and we looked at those. When someone reaches out to you and they're trying to get your attention because they, they need you or they love you or something, you have a choice. You can either turn away from them, pretend they don't exist, or you could turn against them in anger and just say, that's so stupid. Why, why are you doing that? Or you could turn towards them. And what that means is you can actually hear them and pay attention to what they're asking. Um, everyone has a chance to do this. Parents, we always have the opportunity to turn away, turn against, or turn towards. As friends, we have the same opportunity. And you know, obviously, as spouses, we have this opportunity. Because there are times when there's a bid for a connection that's being made, and it just isn't coming the way I like it. I'm just not interested. I don't care about what you got when you're out shopping. But that response is a turn away or a turn against. And what God is wanting us to do is to show preference to one another and say, okay, I care about what you care about. All right. How's that for a review? Ready? Actions speak louder than words. So what form of speech is love? There is not a correct answer to this. Um, right? Uh, love is sometimes a, a, a noun. 
an adverb, adjective, depends how you use it in a sentence, love, loving, lovely, or whatever, right? But I believe that in the Bible, love is almost always portrayed as an action verb, or often. How about, how about I put it that way? It's often portrayed as an action verb. So um, have you ever met a person who says the right rhetoric but has difficulty delivering on their plentiful promises? They say the right things, but they're not necessarily delivering on what they say. Psychiatrist Carl Jung said it this way, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. And um, I find that interesting. Um, What we are is not based upon what we claim we are, it's who we are. And when it comes to love, that's in a very real way. I like to look at two things today. What love isn't, what love is, and then make an application um, specifically today to um, a happy marriage. Those of you who are not married and are thinking about it, this is great. If you are not married and definitely not thinking about it, maybe this will help you think about it. I don't know. But let's look at it. Here we go. Uh, What love isn't. Uh, If you could turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to do just a brief Bible study this morning. James chapter 2, starting with verse 15. And uh, we are looking at what love is not. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? That's a great passage. Love is not telling someone, well, hope you have everything you need. God bless you. I could even add a little bit of spiritual words to go with that. Uh, love is uh, not that. Here's something, um, by the way, you know why? Who is the only person who can speak and it comes into being? God. When God says, let there be, it happens, right? But when a human being says it, it doesn't work that way. Our words don't have miracle power. So that God reason, God gave us hands, I can't be like God and say, be warm, be filled, have what you need. It doesn't work that way because I don't have the ability to make that happen with my words. But I can by using my hands. You know, um, something else, uh, you remember this story in Matthew chapter 21, 18, 20 to 31, man had two sons. There are a lot of stories of those, so I'll tell you. Man has two sons and he goes up to his one son, son, I would like you to go and work in my vineyard today. And the son said, no way, dad. I am not going to go work in that vineyard. I already had plans. I'm going to go do something else. And he leaves. Well, the father said, well, that didn't work too well. I'm going to go to the other son. Son number two, would you please go and work in my vineyard today? And he said, dad, sure. You're a good man, dad. I'd love to do anything I can for you. Well, Jesus doesn't stop the story then. Here's what happens next. The first one who said, there's no way, as he was walking to do whatever he's planning to do, in the back of his mind, he thought, wait a minute. Dad works hard. 
I think I'm going to go help him. And he walked off and did whatever his father asked him to do. The second son who said, sure, dad, whatever you ask. He walked away and said, oh, whew, at least he thinks I'm doing it. Let me get out of here. And he left. And Jesus asked the question, he goes, well, which one of them did the will of his father? Well, it's obvious, the first one. So even though his words weren't there, his actions were. Um, the next one here on the screen is from our scripture reading. Can let me turn there? 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 1 John 3, verse 16 and 17. And if you have a subheading in your Bible like I do, it says on this section, the outworking of love. It's kind of cool. So here's what it says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good, actually I started with verse 16. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. God's not looking for talk. God's looking for action. By the way, Caitlin, thank you. Appreciate you reading that this morning. This is what God is looking for. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it's probably one of the most classic examples of two completely opposite things taking place. Jesus is kneeling in the garden. He comes, stands up after his prayer. The, he, he has borne the weight of the sins of the world. And as he is there with his, his a few disciples, they see this mob coming towards him. As the mob is coming towards them, there is this figure in the front, and they can't quite tell in the dark with the torches. And the person comes up, grabs Jesus, and kisses his cheek and says, Hail, Master. Sign of respect. Sign of love? What was it? it? It was a sign of betrayal. See, that was Judas. Judas was just acting that way, but his heart was the heart of the betrayer. So love is not saying the right things. What love is is actually doing it, promising, practicing what you promise, doing it. I like to look at observation of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, just briefly. And I found this interesting. We looked at it last week, but um, as I was re-looking at it again this week, the Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of man and of angels and have not love, I have become as a sounding gong, a tinkling cymbal, Right? So when I look at verse 1, I find out that what I say isn't enough. In our relationships here with our fellow humans, what we say isn't enough. I can promise the sun, moon, and stars to somebody. I always smile. Um, my poor wife, she has a very unromantic husband. I think the first thing I told her, I said, you know, honey, the only thing I can promise you is we won't have money. I thought it was a romantic line. It should work. Thank you, Theo. But it's amazing, right? And uh, then there was this other guy who was, 
I, I remember to this day, we were out boating together. He was um, with this young lady, and they were in a canoe, and my wife and I were in a canoe, fi fiance, girlfriend, whatever. We were in a canoe, right? And we were out. And uh, this guy got up, and he started singing in the canoe on the lake this love song to the girls in the boat with him. And I saw Christina look at me like, and I said, nope, not happening. Because the other guy I knew was faking it. He had a girlfriend somewhere else. I know what's going on. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be like him. I'm not going to play his charade. Forget it. As you can see, I struggle with. Uh... Anyhow, love is not what we say. What we say is not enough. Let's look at number two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So what we have when it comes to spiritual gifts just isn't enough. There are spiritually gifted people everywhere around us. This church is packed with spiritual gifts. Have you hear me talk about it a lot? Because I see it. What the amount of spiritual gifts in this church is mind-blowing. But what we have isn't enough when it comes to spiritual gifts. And you know the last thing here, verse 13, verse 3, sorry. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. And this is even additional element. Here we're talking about actions are important, but even that isn't enough. What we do, because we can do it for the wrong reason. I can be, <laughs> oh, I'll give you the sermon-rated version. I could be cleaning the house, making everything look sparkling fine, make sure the kids are ready for bed, doing everything I possibly can to make it easy so when my wife comes back from shopping or something, everything's perfect. But if it wasn't for her and it was for me, that's not necessarily love. Does it make sense? I can do right things for wrong reasons. And so that there's just, just so much depth here. Love, of course, is the foundational element that God is looking for. And the kind of love that we want to look at today is what love is. 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16 both have the same phrase, three words, God is love. God is love. So what, about, what, what is it about God that shows us love? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this shows love. Love is seen in giving. Giving something that is special to you. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God towards us. Because God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. Wow. He gave his son not just to die for us, but that his son would live through us. Wow. Huge investment. It doesn't stop. 1 John 4.10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, it's a big word, propitiation for our sins. He provides us forgiveness. Forgiveness. And when we've done crazy stuff, God is giving. God is living in us. God is forgiving. 
And then we see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. For God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Oh, this isn't a love based upon us loving him. This is a love that's based upon the fact that he just simply loves us. Unconditional love. I had a friend of mine, a pastor, who said there is no such thing as unconditional love. Um, I think he was going down a theological turnpike. But when we look at this passage, we realize that God gives his love unconditionally. That's beautiful. You're, look, uh, <laughs> you're looking at someone today who doesn't deserve it. And I'll be honest, if you look in the mirror, you'll see someone else who doesn't deserve it. We are not deserving of the love of God. And yet, because he gave his son for us, it makes us deserving. So you and I can look and say, I am deserving. But it doesn't make sense, does it? It's simply because of Christ. Beautiful, very beautiful. And then Hebrews 12, verse 6, this is the part that, um, you notice I memorized all the other ones. This is the one that I need to memorize. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. For whom the Lord loves, he what? We've looked at this quite a bit. I won't take too much time, but the Holy Spirit does not simply comfort us. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he convicts us of what? Sin and righteousness and judgment. So there are times when God comes to us and his love looks at us and says, you need help. You're messed up. And it's okay if God does that. That's love. You know, sometimes when I uh, share those concepts with my children, they don't like it. And you know what? There are times today that my parents still share those concepts with me, and I don't like it. But that's love. I praise God I have a father and a mother who have no problem looking at me and say, <clears throat> You should know better at age 40-something, right? All right, so what love is? It's giving, living, God's love is, forgiving, unconditional love, and chastening. And then uh, before we do this, I have something here that never made it on. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we could just go back. And I'd like to just touch on A few things here. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is not saying smooth things. Don't get me wrong. If you say them and you back them up with this, God bless you. Any person who can say nice, smooth things and back it up with these verses, they're a rare person. But this is what love is. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. You know what thinks no evil means? 
I used to think that thinks no evil means I'm talking about like I'm not having evil thoughts in my brain. That's not the context of this passage. The context of this passage means I'm not thinking of evil. I'm not thinking that the other person is thinking evil. Let me put it this way. Um, I bet you the reason my wife's doing that is because of this. That's thinking evil. You can use the word judgment. You know, she's doing this because she knows that's my weak pot. Right? That's thinking evil of someone. It goes on and says, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. I know that no one in here has ever celebrated when someone else failed. But that's what it's talking about, in case you ever thought of doing it. Oh, man, I'm glad they got knocked out of that. Um, love does not celebrate, rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. All right. This is uh, a list of character traits. You know, I was, my wife was reading a book to me, and uh, there was a list that was compiled by a Christian author. And I'd like to go through them with some Bible texts connected with them. Ten keys to a happy marriage. All right? So it says ten keys right now. I have approximately seven to ten minutes to finish. Are you ready? We're going to go through them. If you're writing these down, I highly encourage it. These are life-changing. If everyone marriage had all of these traits in them, there would be no troubled marriages. It's that confident I am. All right? Here we are. God has you here to serve one another. Loving, love acted out is serving. Galatians 5.13 says, love through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. Number two, women need respect and nurturing. I'm glad to hear a man and a woman speak on that one. Thank you. Love your wife so she knows you laid your life down for her. Continue to date her and admire her. Share a hobby. Find something you can do to have fun together. And you are familiar, of course, with love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ laid down his life for us. And he didn't begrudge us when he did it. Can I repeat that? Christ laid down his life for the church, and he did not begrudge us when he did it. Husbands, when you lay down your lives, act like you're going to lay down your lives for your wife, and you don't begrudge her when you do it. You've got to be joking. You want me to stay home, and I want to go play basketball. Okay, I'll do it for you. That's not laying down your life. You understand what I'm saying? That's a begrudging giving in of some kind. Next one, laugh often. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything and purpose under heaven, right? And one of those is a time to laugh. Oftentimes, we recognize, and based, based upon personality sometimes, we focus on different things that Ecclesiastes 3 mentions. Uh, it's a time for war. <laughs> People may be more warlock. It's a time for whatever it may be. But part of everything is there is a time to laugh. And I would encourage you to um, take time to laugh together. Be patient. 1 Corinthians 13.4, when it says love suffers long, the New International Version puts that as love is patient. Love crumbles quickly 
under the weight of unmet expectations. Um, yeah, I think that kind of speaks for itself. Your spouse will not live up to all your expectations. Accept that. And be patient anyhow. He will not be the knight in charming armor. She will not be the beautiful princess all the time. There will be unmet expectations. Be patient. Number five, spend more time trying to fix yourself than your spouse. Oh, boy. Galatians 6, 4 says, examine, each examine his own work. All right? David puts it this way, search my spouse, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in her or him. What is it? Search me, O God, and try my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Very, very uh, self. So spend more time focusing on yourself than on your spouse when it comes to fixing. All right? And by the way, I have found that men and women by nature like to fix the other. I could not say this is true across the board, but I found that a lot of wives like to talk to their husbands to fix them. And men just dream that it would work. Focus on fixing yourself. All right? I like this next one. Keep short accounts. The Bible says, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Make it a habit to forgive. Um, you know what it means to keep a short account? This is not what it means. They do something spouse irritates you, you reach behind, you pull out your back pocket and go, boom, boom. Five years ago, you did this, and then four years, 11 months, it was the same exact thing, and then that's not a, a, a short account list. That's keeping record of wrong, right? In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, and I'm quoting from the um, NIV, it says, keep keeps no records of wrongs. When a person makes a mistake, let it go. And that is the, probably the hardest thing I've said in this whole sermon. I get it. I understand. But love keeps no record of wrong. If everyone in here right now wiped out the list against your spouse right now, and left here, there'd be a whole lot more joy this afternoon. Keeps no record of wrongs. That's what love does. Number seven. Oh, let me go to the next one here. Determine up front that divorce is not an option. I remember being told this too in my senior Bible class. Why did I choose 1 Corinthians 13, 7? Here's why. Here's what it says. Always, this is again from the NIV. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Because I'm always hoping, I'm always protecting, I am never going to leave the back door open. 
I'm just not going to. I will stay. I will go through who knows what in my own personal examination in my life. But you're stuck with me. All right. Uh, learn about love languages. Not all people show love or receive it the same way. Love is better received when it's in the language that a person speaks. Um, if you don't mind, I like to, this is from a guy named Gary Chapman. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. He has a book called Five Love Languages. And so here they are. I put some Bible text next to each one of them. First one is acts of service. And uh, the text there, Matthew 20, 27 to 20, is a very dramatic text. So I thought I'd give you a dramatic text. Here it is. Um, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Um, (laughs) Acts of service. Be willing to serve the other person and then keep on serving. Uh, But a love language is not everyone. That doesn't work for every person. Uh, Let's say my love language is acts of service and I come home from work and um, I want to do a surprise for Christina and I clean and do all these little nice things to try to make the house look at, you know, having three children. It's just never the same. And so I'm working on it, and then Christina comes home, and she sees I've done that, and she's taking care of the kids while I'm making sure everything's that final cleaning. She's looking at me saying, "Uh uh-uh. What I really wanted was you to help me take care of the children. I don't care about the kitchen. But for me... That was my love language, man. I've given you from my heart. And so what happens is people often want to be loved the way they like to be loved. I think we're probably all that way to some degree. So um, acts of service, quality time, uh, physical touch, gifts, words of affirmation. So um, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out. Uh, With quality time, it's different between men and women. Uh, by and large, not always, but by and large, guys like doing stuff together. That's quality time. Um, uh, quality time for me is, uh, with, with my friends, is, is doing something with them. Um, quality time for my wife with her friends is looking at each other and talking. And there's two different levels of quality there. Uh, Hans, I'd rather go biking, man. That's quality, Right? Uh, not necessarily just, uh, hey, Herman, let's just sit and share our emotions, brother. You know, that's not something that would work. But you realize that it is different. It's recognizing that difference. So if my wife's love is quality time, I need to recognize that and, and give her face-to-face listening time. So, um, and ladies, if your husband's is quality time, do something with him. Yeah, bike ride, miniature golf, basketball? I don't know. Next one, physical touch. Um, and this, this doesn't have to be uh, necessarily just something that's sensual. This can be just being next to each other, physically touching in some way, just being close. Um, and by the way, these love languages go beyond. I mean, there's love languages for kids. Knowing this as a, as a teacher, right? And as a parent, it's huge. Um, uh, my dad and I were both physical touch. So, you know, I, I, I actually come up and I, I may hit my dad a little bit, or my dad might hit me back, and that's, that's how we show love. Wrestling is love. 
Um, and so there, there is some of these gifts. Um, some people really appreciate gifts. And gifts don't always have to be objects. They can be uh, uh, experiences, like a gift of time. Hey, I know that, I know you've been really busy. I'm just going to take care of everything right here. You can just go and do what you've been wanting to do. Wow. I take it from a guy's perspective. That's a gift, right? Well, but a gift for some people may be a little, a little thing that you put on your shelf that says, you are the best wife that exists, Right? Right? Okay. So there's different kinds of gifts, and you want to recognize that, but these are ways of love. And then uh, the final one is words of affirmation. And uh, this is from Isaiah, excuse me, Proverbs 15, 23. It says, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. If there's a word that's spoken in, in season, how good it is. All right, so the last two uh, for these keys to a happy marriage are words of affirmation are a love language for all men. We talked about ladies a little bit. I just want to focus on mine for the last two. I'm going to repeat that. Words of affirmation are a love language for all men. Okay? I'll say amen. Amen. I'm not talking about, well done, husband. Keep it up. You're doing great. Because husbands are not in fifth grade. Right? What that really means for a man is not words of affirmation, it's words of admiration. Right? Words of admiration. Uh, um, both in private and public. Man, you are good. The way you took care of that was so awesome. You know, that means something to get admiration from your spouse in public. Years ago, Decades, there was a person, uh, my wife and I were spending time with a, another couple, and she basically told her husband, the other lady, I wish you could be more like Chuck. First of all, she didn't know me, was she would have never made that statement. <laughs> but second of all, you can't hurt more than that. That is, that is taking a knife, putting it in, turning and turning and turning. They're divorced, as you probably would have guessed. Don't do that. Your spouse, your man, if you're a lady, admire him in public and in private. It will mean the world. And then the last one here, men are born to be leaders. He cannot lead unless she gives him the confidence to do so. If you love your husband, and then that phrase is build him up. Confident men do not seek love outside the home. Um, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. This is from the NIV. Amazing, yes? These 10 keys strongly suggest them to you. The Bible does not, uh, these are all biblical principles, beautiful principles. If you uh, did nothing but try to do one of these a week, all you could do is see improvement in your relationships. And if you're already doing them, praise God, keep it up. All right. I'm just going to um, share 
a little bit a story, an idea, a parable, a not true story as I close. Can you imagine Jesus looking down from heaven 2,050 years ago and saying, hey, I love you guys. I hope everything goes okay. And then stayed in heaven. We wouldn't want a Christ like that because it would have done nothing for you and I. We wouldn't want our Savior to not have done what he did for us, the epitome of sacrifice and love. Philippians chapter 5, excuse me, 2, says this, what Jesus did do. He was in the form of God, but he did not consider it robbery, and he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was God. But he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. And then being found in appearance of man, he actually humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He went from the highest possible place to the lowest possible place because he loves us. Truly, actions do speak louder than words. Is when the word became flesh that our salvation was solidified. If you want the love in your lives to be solidified, your words need to have flesh on them. So the question for us today is, what are we saying if our actions speak louder than our words? Could you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we are, we are standing here just amazed and thankful that you love us so much that you sent your son for us. That you didn't talk, that you did. You did more than do. You went to the utmost extreme out of love for someone who didn't love you. Father, thank you. And now we're challenged, Father, to love like that. Yes, we know we're supposed to love our enemies, but you've also called us to love our families and our friends. I want to pray specifically for the marriages that are represented in this room. I want to ask, Father, for you to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. I'm asking, Father, that in each home, Father, your Holy Spirit will be there and you'll bring love, your love, and that your spirit will win against the spirit of the world. We ask for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.